Hello, welcome to the CityWire Funds Fanatic podcast. My name's Gavin Lumsden and with me is my colleague Daniel Grote, editor of the CityWire Funds Insider website. Dan, uh, good to talk to you again. Uh, it's clear what this week's uh, big topic is. It's a topic we've uh, talked about a lot in the past. Hargreaves Lansdowne, the UK's biggest funds broker, this week unveiled its new wealth shortlist. Uh, we should have a drum roll, really. There's been a lot of expectation building up around what it was going to do. The funny thing, though, is this shortlist has got 68 funds, is actually a little bit longer than the previous version of what used to be known, going back a bit, as the Wealth 150. It comes with a raft of changes. There's lots of funds going in, but there's also new fund tools on the website, and uh, there's an emphasis on the oversight and governance of the whole process uh, following the uh, tarnishing of Hargreaves' reputation uh, in the Neil Woodford scandal last year. So, Dan, you know, let's start with that first. I mean, you're, you're, you've been looking at this closely, but before we get into the kind of you know who's in and out on the fun side, let's stick at the big picture because um, remind us what what was the issues raised by uh, for Hargreaves by uh, the collapse of Neil Woodford's business. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right that this, these changes to uh, Hargreaves Lansdowne's fund buy list have absolutely have been made in light of what happened to the broker and its recommendation of uh, the Woodford Equity Income Fund in, in particular. Hargreaves Lansdowne was a very big backer of, of Neil Woodford. Uh, it promoted his, his funds very strongly when uh, the manager set up his own fund group and channeled a lot of money into his funds. Hargreaves Lansdowne customers owned uh, more than a fifth of the main fund, Woodford Equity Income, and we all know what happened to that fund. It was suspended last year. Uh, Neil Woodford had been building pretty big positions in uh, unquoted companies and, and hard to trade companies. And so when he was hit with uh, a lot of withdrawals as performance deteriorated, and, and in particular a withdrawal request from Kent County Council, he wasn't able to sell things quickly enough to give investors their money back. Uh, you know, Hargreaves, they cut that fund from the what was then the World 50, uh, but only after his fund had been suspended. Uh, it, it also cut the Woodford Income Focus Fund, his, his, his smaller fund. And that really has tarnished Hargreaves Lansdowne, and in particular, it's tarnished its fund buy list and the sort of favourite fund picks that it highlights um, for its huge band of customers. So as you say, there was a, a huge conflict of interest raised by that uh, saga. And so their response to this is to make some a number of changes in the way the process is run, tightening up on the process, I think expanding the investment team that is picking and analysing funds for the shortlist. But most importantly, there's a separate team now looking at the wealth shortlist from the team that is running Hargreaves Lansdowne own funds, because uh, some uh, listeners might not be aware, uh, but the Hargreaves is not only the, the country's, you know, it's a big platform where you can, a website where you can go and buy funds, but they're actually a fund management company in their own, own right. And that does create conflicts of interest, potentially, as the Neil Woodford case showed that Hargreaves Lansdowne funds, multi-manager funds, funder funds were invested in Neil Woodford. You know, and, and so there was a huge amount of the business kind of pinned on the declining uh, performance of that fund manager. And there was concern, a natural concern, 
justifiable concern that you know, maybe it wasn't making the, it wasn't taking the decisions quickly enough, the right decisions uh, on behalf of the investors who were investing through directly through its platform. So there are now two teams, but there's a continuity there as well. So we have uh, the team picking the shortlist funds is uh, someone we know, uh, Emma Wall. She's a former Morningstar and uh, Telegraph journalist. She's head of investment ana- analysis. And then alongside her is a very familiar name as well, Mark Dompier, the head of fund research, who who was the long-standing uh, backer of Neil Woodford and the reason, uh, the main reason, I think, why it, it was uh, included for so long. It was reported uh, wrongly that uh, Mark Dompier was retiring last year as a result of the uh, the, the, the scandal over Woodford. Uh, that's not the case. He's still there very much as head of fund research. So uh, Emma Wall is head of the team, uh, but he's still there. And they've got four analysts under them, all holding appropriate investment for qualifications. Um, what do you think of that? Well, yeah, I mean, it's worth underlining with uh, with the Woodford Fund that you know, part of the reason that Hargreaves had such a big stake in, in, in that fund was not only was it promoting it a lot to its own customers, but it held a lot of it in its own funds, in in its multi-manager funds. Every multi-manager fund that had the remit to allow investment in UK funds held either Woodford Equity Income or the Woodford Income Focus Fund. It's worth pointing out as well that prior to these changes, there have also been changes in the way that those multi-manager funds are run to decouple them from the fund buy list uh, from what's now the, the wealth shortlist. So increasingly with those funds, there has been a move towards uh, what are called segregated mandates. So instead of the Hargreaves funds buying stakes in funds that you or I could invest in, they ask the manager, manager of those funds to run a portion of money for them. One of the benefits of this is that they are in control of that stake. So they're less vulnerable to uh, in an issue like what arose with Woodford Equity Income, uh, where a fund has to suspend because other investors want to pull their money. I see. So it's a separate pool of money. So that if Neil Woodford had been managed by them on that basis, even if his main fund had gone down, their uh, segregated mandate would have been OK. Yeah. Is that the situation? You, you would have had the same performance issues. And and they were they were bad, but you wouldn't have had uh, the, the suspension, or the suspension wouldn't have affected those Hargreaves Lansdowne multi-manager funds, which even now, like all investors in, in Woodford Equity Income, they, they've got a rump of money that they're just waiting to get back. And that team is run by, it's a separate team run by uh, Lee Guardhouse, is that right? And it's his own team of uh, fund managers. Yeah, absolutely. Which brings us on to um, one of the big sort of talking points around the change was the uh, continued uh, non-inclusion, exclusion of Fundsmith. Uh, there was a exchange of words between the two over that, with uh, Hargreaves claiming that actually Fundsmith, Terry Smith, doesn't really provide the data, the regular data that they want to be comfortable about including his uh, very big uh, Fundsmith equity, very big and very successful uh, Fundsmith equity. Um, but other people think, you know, it's non-inclusion, just, uh, you know, it continues to sh- sort of underline how uh, uh, 
untransparent and unclear uh, um, you know, Hargreaves' selection process is. Um, and uh, Terry Smith uh, was criticising them for being a rival fund manager. Going back to this point that Hargreaves is in the strange situation of being a broker, an intermediary, but at the same time also a provider of financial products themselves, in, in this case, investment funds. You know, as, uh, as uh, both sides have got a point in this, haven't they? Well, you're right in that 17 funds were added as part of these changes, but the big story is the fund that wasn't added, Fundsmith Equity. It's the UK's largest online stockbroker and the UK's largest fund, and they haven't been able to sort of ameliorate that relationship. Hargreaves Lansdowne has for a long time been forced really to defend why it doesn't include Fundsmith Equity on its list. It's the biggest fund in the UK and it's a very strong performing global fund. You know, for a while, Hargreaves defence was that uh, Terry Smith, who launched the fund in, in 2010, hadn't been around long enough to provide uh, a good enough track record to give confidence that his performance would persist. In particular, he hadn't been through a downturn. Um, his fund was launched after the financial crisis, so hadn't been tested by the extreme stock market volatility that we saw back then. You know, obviously, with this year, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with the coronavirus crisis, whether there will be further heavy falls. But we have seen a lot of stock market volatility in the first half of this year. And Fundsmith Equity has done pretty well. Uh, you know, it's got a lot of technology stocks and consumer staple stocks, the sorts of things that have held up well as stock markets have fallen. But you know, you're 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 right to point out that now it's it's around the data that Fundsmith provide. Hargreaves are saying that Fundsmith only provides full disclosure, the full portfolio of of that fund uh, every six months, and and they want that every month. Um, you know, that seems a pretty clear requirement. But others are saying, well, hang on, this is just another excuse not to uh, uh, you know hold your uh, your rival, your your opponent. Fundsmith doesn't provide this sort of monthly full kind of portfolio data. Uh, which actually, in terms of what the what we as the sort of general public get to see, uh, it was only really going back to Neil Woodford. It was only really Neil Woodford who did that and presented his full portfolio every month so you could see everything that he held and what he'd been buying and what he'd been selling. But funds do provide that level of detail to you know, companies like Morningstar, the, the, the data provider. Fundsmith doesn't. Uh, it provides that sort of data on a six-month basis. Terry Smith doesn't like disclosing what he doesn't have to disclose. He doesn't announce stocks that he's buying until he's built up the position that that he wants in them. You know, when he launched his fund, he was he said that you know he, he wouldn't tell anyone what was in it if he could <laughs> if he was allowed to. And their fund fact sheet uh, it will detail the the top ten stocks, but it won't detail uh, the weightings in each. But on the other hand especially with regards to liquidity, uh, Fundsmith does provide uh, every month a gauge of how easily the stocks held in the fund can be traded. So it says how much of the fund could be sold within seven days. And in its latest fact sheet to the end of June, that stands at 71%. And Terry Smith's argument is, well, I don't provide this data to other investors, so why should I make a special case for Hargreaves Lansdowne? 
And that liquidity data is actually what uh, Hargreaves is now focusing more on when uh, in this uh, uh, investment team, when they're compiling their reports and reporting to uh, a board and they're, they're doing their monthly and quarterly uh, uh, reviews, they're very much looking uh, at the amount of liquidity, how easy it is for a fund manager to get in and out of their big positions to avoid uh, the fiasco of Neil Woodford. So you'd think there would be some common ground there. But of course, you know, what this is really about underneath is that is that commercial relationship and, and, and the role of discounts and, uh, and, and, and funds cutting their charges to in order to get onto the shortlist. Um, Fundsmith, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not wrong, am I to say that Fundsmith will not uh, give up any of its uh, uh, annual charge to get onto any platform, never mind uh, Hargreaves? Well, and that's Fundsmith's success has been remarkable in being able to build a business that's as big as, as it is now. Fundsmith Equity holds more than £20 billion without engaging in that sort of business transaction with Hargreaves Lansdowne, you know, lots of other fund groups need to do that to get their funds out to as many investors as they can. But Fundsmith, you know, not only through platforms, but it has its own direct business. It's been able to do that, you know, independently. How many people, I'm quite curious, yeah, how many people, what sort of proportion of people are buying, uh, uh, you know, kind of bucking the trend in the in the investment industry and buying Fundsmith direct from uh, Terry Smith's company? Well, it is cheaper to do that. The fund cost is higher um, if you go through the share class that's offered directly to Fundsmith customers. But it's not uh, the difference between the uh, direct share class and, 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 the, and the platform share class. It's not as big as what you would pay a platform if you were holding it on there. I mean, the direct business is still smaller than its its platform business. Uh, you know, even though Fundsmith isn't on Hargreaves Lansdowne's buy list and, you know, it's still very well held by Hargreaves Lansdowne customers. Yes, it's still available on the platform, isn't it? I mean, we're spending an awful lot of time talking about, you know, the, the shortlist. But in fact, uh, and, and, and people are commenting on, our, on your stories have uh, expressed reservations. But actually, you know, other people say, well, setting that aside, it's still a great platform in which to do your own research. Um, but the other key thing here, isn't it, is this going back to the sort of role of uh, discounts that uh, Hargreaves is able to secure. Uh, it, it's insisting that there is no connection between those discounts it secures and inclusion in the uh, shortlist. Does that does that uh, does the evidence support that claim? Well, the the account they give is that before uh, this change to its its fund buy list, uh, the the way it would operate would be that. Uh, the investment analysis team would draw up the funds that they liked, compose their list of, of favourite funds, and then that list would be taken by the distribution team and they would use it to uh, hammer out discounts from fund groups. And at the beginning of last year, when what was the Wealth 150 was uh, re revamped and shortened to become the Wealth 50, every single fund on that list had a discount and Hargreaves had used the overhaul of its list as an, as an opportunity to hammer out more discounts from fund groups that were already cutting their fees for it. Now that discounting has been decoupled really from the way that it composes its list. So if we look at the funds that have come on, 
no new discounts have been secured as a result of these changes. So Hargreaves is really trying to combat that perception that to get on the buy list, you need to discount your fund. So let's have a look then at uh, what has uh, been added. As you say, it's not been a case of taking things off. Uh, It's been more a case of putting more things on. I saw there was a great comment from one of our readers of, you know, bit mean, but I'm going to quote it about Hargreaves Lansdowne saying, great admin, absolute rubbish buy list. So that's someone who's clearly got reservations about the selection process. But what did you make of it? You've had a, a close look at the uh, was it 17 new funds going on. Were they credible choices? Going back to, to Fundsmith, the, one of the reasons that we're, that we're looking at it in, in so much detail is, you know, not only is it a spat between the biggest platform in the country and the biggest fund manager, but uh, if you look at the global sector in particular on, on Hargreaves' buy list, that is one that has been diminished by the cutting of Linzel Train Global Equity last summer because of Nick Train and Michael Linzel's growing stake in Hargreaves Lansdowne's own shares. So there was a conflict of issue presented by that, that Hargreaves felt the only way it could resolve would was by cutting them from the list. So if you look at the global funds they have in there now, it is really lacking that sort of global superstar <laughs> fund manager that they had in Nick Train and Michael Linzel. And they could have had, had they included Terry Smith and Fundsmith Equity on the list. In terms of the the, the new additions, there's uh, Fidelity Global Dividend, Trojan Global Income, which are both good funds and both funds that have performed well over you know, the last one, three, and in Fidelity Global Dividend's case, five years. Uh, they've outperformed the global equity income sector, which is a sector that's not done as well as as the global sector, uh, because dividend paying stocks haven't done as well as the likes of Facebook and Amazon. But if you look at the the, the list as a whole in terms of that global segment, uh, Rathbone Global Opportunities would be the one that you would pick out now as the most sort of straightforward competitor to Lindell Train and and Fundsmith. Uh, It's a growth focused global fund and has done well not as well as Fundsmith and uh, Linzel Train but elsewhere it's it's very focused on income and uh, where it's not they're passives or it Jupiter Global Value Equity equity, for example which is a very sort of value um, focused approach and hasn't done as well because value has been out of favour. So it's a big hole uh, in the global, but otherwise the, the, the choices are sort of fairly reasonable. Does our, do our Citywire fund manager ratings uh, sort of shed any insight and, or endorsement of any of these uh, choices? Well, looking at the performance of uh, some of the funds that they've picked, I mean, you can really separate out uh, Fidelity Special Situations as the one fund they've picked that hasn't done well. Alex Wright has had uh, a very difficult few years of performance, and that's you know largely because he has this contrarian value approach to investing that has been deeply out of favour in recent years. Uh, and so, if you look at the performance of that fund over one, three, five years, it's doing worse than the sector that it's in, the Investment Association UK or companies sector. And it's had a particularly bad 2020. It's lost a quarter of its value so far this year. Uh, I mean, if you're looking elsewhere in the list, it has picked some stellar performers. Uh, Bailey Gifford American has been an incredible 
performer over over all time scales. It's up nearly three hundred percent over five years. It's interesting you mentioned uh, Bailey Gifford, Dan, because uh, one of the regrettable features uh, of the shortlist is is the continued non-exclusion of investment trusts. We've discussed this in the past. Uh, Hargreaves wants to have funds that are, you know, liquid and big and, and good performing, they say. But to the trouble with investment trusts is this sort of separation between the, the share price and the underlying net asset value and that there's a potential for investment trust shares to rise to big premiums and big discounts below the underlying value, which which could be exacerbated by their including and directing people to buy or, or, or sell them implicitly through uh, through the through the shortlist. But um I've been looking at the performance of uh, investment trusts. We've just had the, the second quarters just passed. We're th- past the halfway point, point of the year. And looking at the performance between uh, the end of May and the end of June, it's striking. There's been a massive, I mean, this is a good news story. There's been a massive rebound from the, the horror show that was in the first quarter. Markets have rebounded virtually everywhere. The UK, possibly the weakest uh, recovery amongst the uh, global markets, US markets and Asia. but. Um, I mentioned Bailey Gifford because their growth style uh, is clearly in favour and a lot of their investment trusts, like the Global Scottish Mortgage Trust, is up nearly 50% uh, in the second quarter and that leaves them up 42% for the year. You know, there are many, many trusts and funds that have done well, rebounded in the second quarter, but are still uh, below their starting point of, uh, in, in January. But Scottish Mortgage is, is, is one of those. And there are others in the uh, Bailey Gifford stable, you know, leading the tops of their sectors uh, amongst uh, investment trusts. I'd mention that they're global smaller companies, Edinburgh Worldwide. Again, that's up 51% in the second quarter. So Hargreaves have got a point around investment trusts and the discounts and the, and the premiums and that being a problem. But it is a shame, <laughs> once again, that uh, some trusts that are really capable of very strong performance can't get a look into this uh, influential list. I mean, I think it's probably worth pointing out as well is, you know, the temptation uh, when looking at, you know, what Hargreaves has done with its uh, with its additions to the list is just to draw up, which is exactly what I've done, um, draw up a table of their performance over the relevant scales and compare it to either the index or the sector that they're in. And, you know, of course, what Hargreaves is trying to do is not just pick a list of which funds have performed best over the last five years. You know, we can all do that. Uh, what they're trying to do is to pick funds that they think will do well in the future. Uh, and I mean, Fidelity situation, special situations is, you know, a case in point because that is a fund that hasn't done well. And it's saying that it thinks that it can do given manager Alex Wright's processes and his experience. And if there is this resurgence in value investing that someone like Alex Wright would be well poised to do well that is you know that's a fund that used to be Anthony Bolton's fund used to be one of the biggest funds in 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 the country and used to be on Hargreaves Lansdowne's buy list but was cut uh, at the beginning of last year and never gave a discount to Hargreaves Um, and so that I guess the suspicion would be that when there was so much emphasis on discounts when they revamped the buy list uh, last year that now there isn't so much that emphasis that it's 
it's okay to bring it back in. Okay. Well, let's maybe uh, start to conclude. I mean, it's a shame that there's this sort of row with Fundsmith because it does sort of cloud the issues. It does seem in in, in, in a number of areas that after Woodford, you know, after the huge setback, a damaging blow to Hargreaves' reputation from Woodford, that um, you know, they are trying to move forward and, and make some uh, sensible reforms. Uh, I mean, you, you know, your comments about uh, Alex Wright's Fidelity special... Uh, special situations you know no one's expecting them to pick the right funds and the right managers all the time it's just a question of uh, uh, but a cons- like assistance and approach and not going overboard with particular fund managers and when things are going wrong making timely interventions so we'll see how, you know if, if the performance of Alex Wright's fund doesn't improve you know what uh, their oversight committees and uh, governance will do there but uh, there's a, it, it, we've, we've spent a long time talking about it. There's a lot going on uh, on their website. It's worth having a, having a look. There's a number of new tools and it all fits into a range of services the company's aiming to provide. You know, we're focused on, on the short list because that's the one our, our, our listeners and our readers are most interested in. But, uh, you know, it's a challenge for a company that's trying to do a little bit of everything. And uh, maybe there's a little bit more streamlining to come in that respect. Dan, have you got anything else to add? Well, no, I mean, I would add that, uh, you know, I haven't played around with the website properly yet to test out all these features. But, you know, on the face of it, they are they're pretty handy features. You know, being able to shortlist funds based on the yield that they provide and how often they pay that income. I mean, that's something that, you know, is very important to investors. But, you know, we've touched on this before in, in previous podcasts that it's really hard to find out all the details that you need to know about uh, a fund's income in contrast to uh, investment trusts. So any moves that are made on that front to make it easier to understand who's paying a good income, how often they're paying it, and how well their fund has performed is a pretty good thing. Yeah, that's a really, that's a, that's a really good point. Uh, you know, income finding an income is so important and so difficult at the moment. So anything that they do in that area is, is to be welcomed. And going back to investment trusts, I know I was moaning about them not being included on the shortlist, but it's, it's, it's worth pointing out that the uh, analyst team at Hargreaves is going to be doing, is doing more coverage of investment trusts and writing more regular reports about uh, some of the more prominent or interesting investment trusts. So I'm personally going to be looking forward to that. So it's a, you know, it's a mixed picture, but I think uh, there is signs of progress uh, uh, and we'll wait and see what happens. Anyway, Dan, that's enough for now, but uh, very good to catch up with you. Enjoy the rest of your week and uh, I'll speak to you you soon. Speak to you next week. Cheers, Gavin.